John chapter 1. No, I was not stuttering. For those of us, we've been in Luke for a year now. We'll end probably in spring 2020. We're going to pray for the offering real quickly. Lord God, we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so we ask, Lord, this morning as we give our tithes and our offerings, or just our hearts to you, God, that you would take these funds, Lord, bless them for the work of your ministry. And we just ask that you'd have our hearts. Thank you for all that you've given. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. John chapter 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses throughout the course of this morning. Um, However, uh, we're going to start with verse 14. The first four words in verse 14 says, The Word became flesh. Don't worry, it's there. The Word became flesh. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. You can raise your hand and someone will hand one to you. But the Word became flesh. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Believe it or not, it is not because of the great bargains that are out there or the wonderful stuff that you will get, whether you've been naughty or nice. Um, We live in a very materialistic culture that is kind of, you know, we capitalize on tradition like crazy. If we can make a buck out of it, we will. Um, how many of you are, are experiencing the, the pressure and the pains of spending too much money on things that you already have or that people already have? Anybody else? Yes. Well, this is the gift that is amazing. The Word became flesh. Now, who in the world is the Word? Uh, we know that it's Jesus, and John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word that is, God became human, became human, one of us. The term word is used four times in the first 14 verses, one time in verse 14 and three times in verse, uh, in verse 3, I'm sorry, in the first verse. And the term really isn't explained. And when you're actually reading the Bible and it doesn't explain something, it's assuming that the person it was written to understands what is going on. We kind of don't, so we kind of have to delve into history and word studies and all that type of stuff, we meaning me, um, to bring that to you. And so the term word in John chapter 1 is the term logos in the Greek. Anybody like the word logos? And this term logos was described by Greek philosophers to be the impersonal, abstract, intelligent mind behind the universe. If you think of like intelligent design, it's just saying that basically there's some kind of intelligence behind everything that's happening. In other words, it doesn't put a person to it, it's just speaking in general terms. And so this word logos to the Greek mind would, would understand that everything that is kind of being, there's, there's, a, there's a thought behind it, there's a power behind it, there's a force behind it, there's an intelligence behind it, so to speak, and the Greeks would call that the logos. And so when John says that the word became flesh, both the philosopher and the common Greek would understand that John is declaring that the logos, the word, is not an impersonal creative force, but rather the logos is a person and that person became flesh. That's what he's saying. 
The Logos was embodied in a person. To the Jew, the term word of the Lord would be very familiar. How many of us, if you read your Old Testament, you saw the word of the Lord came to, the word of the Lord said, appeared to. Uh, he appeared to the people and prophets and kings and all those people throughout the uh, Jewish history. And you can read about that. The word of the Lord was God's revelation, his will, his nature, his very being, what he desired. And it came to the Jews in various forms. And so for the Jew to hear that the word became flesh, they would hear that the revelation of God, the will of God, the nature of God, and so on, is now embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John says in verse 1, the word dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the word tabernacle. I'm giving you a lot of translation from the original language there this morning. I wanted to make Christmas very scholarly this year. Break the mold. No Santa, no sleighs, just Greek. <laughs> it's a very Greek Christmas. No. Um, but that word is, is tabernacle. It means you take your house in, in, and he, he built it. You put your tent pegs down, so to speak. In other words, God, who is, comes from eternity, became a man, became one of us. He put his tent pegs down. He tabernacled with us. And so the word of the Lord to the Jews was how God spoke. And Hebrews 1, 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors, meaning the Jews through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The Word is the Son of God who became flesh. Now John wants us to know about the nature and the origin of the Word that became flesh. And so John 1.1 1, 1 starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word. Word is a very abstract thing, and so he's trying to nail it down. He's trying to explain something that is eternal and, and trying to bring it into our understanding of what that actually means so we can comprehend it, because that is why the Word came, that we could comprehend God. Amen? One of the reasons. So he starts out by saying there, the very beginning, in the beginning was the Word. What beginning? What beginning? The beginning of it all. The archaic, archaic is where we get the Word. But John is definitely referring to the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When did that happen? In the beginning. Just to clarify. <clears throat> The beginning is when all of space and time and matter started to become into creation, the existence that was the word was then. And John is telling us that the word that became flesh didn't come into existence at the beginning. He preceded, he preexisted the beginning. He already was when the beginning happened. John is telling us that the word became flesh that eternal being was already existing when the world came into creation. That's the Word. He was already there. And so the Word, the Son of God, pre-existed all of creation. He's ancient, archaic. And at the point when everything began, whenever that was, 
He already was. It's important to make the distinction that the Son of God was not a creation. He was not created. He was not a created angel. But he pre-existed creation. John doesn't say that the Word came into existence. He says, in the beginning, the Word already was. In other words, the Word is eternal. We can't even comprehend that. In other words, Colossians 1.17 says of Jesus, the Word, the Son of God, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus pre-existed creation. Jesus said of himself, if you remember in John chapter 8, verse 58, he's speaking to a bunch of Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, and they're arguing back and forth about the bread of life and all this type of stuff. And Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they respond, you are not 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? And this guy's several thousand years gone. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this point, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple. Jesus said, before Abraham existed, I am. Ego emi in the Greek, I have always been. Very powerful statement. This is the very name that God gave Moses. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 3, when uh, Moses came to God and said, hey, what, you want me to go talk to these people? Well, who am I supposed to say that you are? And in 3.14 of Exodus, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is the thing about the nature of God. He is not becoming something. You're becoming something. Do you know that? How many of you have looked in the mirror lately? You are becoming something. Might not be what you want it to be, but there it is. All of creation creation is becoming. There's entropy going on. We're falling apart. We're morphing. But see, the thing about God is that He isn't learning. He isn't growing. He isn't changing. He isn't adapting. He isn't, you know, gaining wisdom. He is. He's always been. He is being. We are becoming. He is being. God says... I am. And Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. I have always existed. I am the eternal God. And in response to this, what do people do? They pick up rocks to stone him. And the reason why they wanted to do that is because he ascribed that eternal nature to himself that alone belongs to God. The reason why he did that is because he is God. In the flesh, he owns it. So Jesus, the word, is eternal. He has always existed, and he became flesh and dwelt among us. In verse 1, John tells us not only that he was in the beginning, but that in the beginning, the word was with God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm pretty confused. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And so the Word, the Son of God, was in the beginning, and He was with God. The word with means in the company of, or better translated, face to face. Face to face. Jesus was face to face with God the Father. In the end of Jesus' time on earth in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father in verse 4 and 5, says, I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do in verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Glorify me with the glory that we had before the world began when we were what? Face to face. That's powerful stuff. Love that. The Father and the Son were face to face in eternity past, sharing in their glory. And just some further insights on the nature of their face to face relationship. In Luke 3, at Jesus' baptism, the Father speaks from heaven and says in verse 17, This is my what? Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Or, This is the Son of my love. What is the nature of their eternal relationship? It's love. That's their relationship. Perfect love. From all eternity past, from our perspective, their relationship was one of love, that perfect love. And we see this expressed deeply in John 17. I encourage you to read it. We'll touch on it a little bit more tonight at our 6 p.m. Christmas candlelight service. But the deep love relationship that God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit experienced from eternity past, and the life, and the love, it broke into our world, and that the Father desires that we would have that same relationship that they shared from eternity past. Oh, what manner of love that we could be called children of the Most High God. That's just, wow. More on that tonight. By the way, it's only going to be like a 10-minute sermon. Football time, that's 20 minutes. But I mean, we're going to keep it 10. And so the Jesus, the Word of God, Jesus the Christ, right? The Word of God is eternal. He was face-to-face with God. Which, by the way, if you're thinking of this theologically, which means he's distinct from the Father. And yet he is equal with the Father. You know, one of the arguments we get into, discussions we get into in theology is, well, if Jesus submitted to the Father, then they aren't equal. And I say, well, make that this, that, that, that point with your wife. Come on, think about it. <laughs> Roles do not determine equality. We are created in His image, both male and female. Roles. The Father has the authority, and the Son does what pleases the Father to His glory, and yet there is perfect love relationship between them picture of marriage. 
And so he was face to face, face with God. Yet, it tells us plainly that the word was with God, but the word what? It, he was God. And that's the mystery of the Trinity, that the Son is eternal and was in perfect communion from eternity with the Father. Jesus is distinct from the Father and yet is fully God just as the Father is. They share the same nature. And so the Word was face to face with God and yet the Word was God. And that Word became flesh, as Colossians 2.9 says of Jesus, for in Christ all the fullness of The deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is not God light. Jesus is fully God, and in him, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. Jesus is God in the flesh. Verse 3 of John 1 says, And through him, All things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. The the word that was invisible, eternal, the creator, the son of God, has now clothed himself in flesh. It's the reason for the season. God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And so what's the significance of this? I'm talking about the theology, and you're seeing this picture of the eternal God who coexisted with the Father from eternity past, who had this face-to-face relationship of love, has come into the world. So what? How many of us, I know that sounds dis... But I mean, what, what is the point, right? What are we celebrating? That Jesus became in a baby in a manger? Yay! You know? How does that translate into my life? What is the connection? Through him all things were made, without him nothing has been made. What are we celebrating here? What's the significance of God becoming a man? Verse 4 tells us, in him was what? Was life. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. In him was life. The significance is that the word became flesh and he had life. He had life. It isn't saying that he attained life or that he received life. Not at all. John is declaring that life was in him. It was his. It's who he is. He is life. Isn't that interesting? The word here isn't bios, which is physical life, biology, right? That isn't the word. It's zoe, which is the total, like encompasses all life. He is the source of life. He is life. Life came and comes from him. He is the origin of it all. That is who he is. All life has its origin in him. And when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, he's not kidding. It's not just a figure of speech. He is the source of life. All life in this room, in the universe, everything exists as its origin in him. All all things were created by him and for him. And it goes on, it says, in him we move and have our being. In other places. 
And the reason we celebrate is because the eternal word in whom is eternal life. You see, his life isn't, isn't like life light. He is eternal, and therefore his life is eternal. Eternal life is not something you get. It is a person. It is something, someone you receive. It is him. Isn't that amazing? You don't receive eternal life by going into a church and by hanging out with church people. Hopefully, we point you to the person, Jesus Christ, who is eternal life, and you receive him and have eternal life by faith. The reason we do celebrate is because that eternal life became flesh and he dwelt among us. And then the latter half of verse 4, it tells us that that light was the light of mankind. Light's an analogy here for the life that came. When Jesus came, he lit up the darkness of the sinfulness of the world and the ignorance of mankind. Mankind was living in spiritual darkness. So John's using an analogy here for light. A world without eternal life, all of a sudden, the light shines in the room. And we can have this room pitch black, and then you light a candle. What happens to the light? It dispels. The light overtakes the darkness. Mankind was living in spiritual darkness, living without eternal life, dead in trespasses and sins. That is why we have death in this world. Ephesians 2 says that. Eternal life manifested itself to a world void of his life, his eternal life. We have the physical life, but we don't have the spiritual life. His life was the light of mankind. In verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome of it, overcome it. Some of you say, some of you say maybe comprehend it. The idea is, is, in other words, that Jesus came and his life overwhelmed the darkness. Amen. How many of you have been changed by the light of Jesus Christ? He came into your life, busted into your circumstances, and overwhelmed your darkness. Amen. And you're like, what is this? Who are you? What in the world just happened? And it's like he lit a light in the darkness of your life, and all of a sudden that, that flame just started to grow. And the darkness was exposed. And as that darkness is exposed, you either ran towards him or you hardened your heart. But nevertheless, the light shone in the darkness. It shined in the darkness, whatever the correct term is. It was bright. Amen. <laughs> and so John is speaking of the eternal God taking on flesh, and, and because the eternal word is life, eternal life, he came into our world like a, like a light shining in darkness, and his life overcomes the darkness. That's Jesus. And verse 6 tells us, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist, not John the Apostle who's writing this. A lot of Johns there. John the Baptist. And verse 7 says, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So John's speaking in this analogy saying, John came to bear witness of the light. 
declaring that the light had entered the world. That's what his preaching was about. Get ready, repent, the light is here, the Lamb of God, and all these types of pictures that came to take away the sin of the world. He's here, he's here, he's here. Get ready. That's what John did. He was pointing people to the Lamb that would take away their sins. And so what happened? Verse 9 The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not, what? Recognize him. How tragic. Anybody ever seen, like, Undercover Boss? (laughs) I was resisting. I was trying to keep it serious, but... Has anybody seen Undercover Boss, you know? And it's like, why don't they, his picture's on the thing, her picture's on the thing, like every day, you know, why don't they understand, and here's the boss working with them, you know, he created the whole company, she created the whole company, it's all their idea, from the, from the bottom up, they've, they've led sweat, you know, this, they've just done years and years and years of backbreaking work, and here's this company, and they walk in a room, and no one knows who they are. It's just an amazing situation. And Jesus says, I made all of you and you don't recognize me. And it's interesting in in Isaiah 53, I think it is, or 51, I can't remember exactly right now. He says that there was no form or comeliness that we we should desire him. Yeah, there was nothing about him on the outside that would cause us to be attracted to him or or even recognize him. He lived 30 years in obscurity. just the carpenter's son. I mean, Mary knew. Some of the people around him knew, you know, but I mean, no one looked up and just said, oh, that's him. That's European Jesus. I mean, look at his eyes. Of course he's the son of God. There was nothing about him. They were blind. They couldn't see. We can't see. It says the world. That's just in general. The the general world couldn't see him. This is what sin does. It blinds us. It blinds us spiritually to where we only see the flesh. We don't see the things of the spirit. And unless God illuminates us, we are toast. Unless God wakes us up to the fact that we're blind, we're toast. Ephesians 2 calls us dead. Dead people don't recognize light. They don't care if a hamburger's sitting there. Nothing. They can't do it. But God made you alive who was dead. See, God enters into the world. God desired that the light would shine in your life, in my life. We couldn't do anything, but because of his very nature, because of the love he has, the love that he desires to share in life, he busted into our world. He shined his light. In the world, they didn't recognize him. Then he gets more specific. Not only was the world in general blind, but verse 11, he came to that which was his own, the Jews, but his own did not receive him. They had the law, they had the prophets. The word of the Lord came to them year after year after year, and all this, the church people, so to speak. 
the ones who you think would, would recognize him. It's as if Jesus was here this morning and he was there and we would never even notice him. The world did not see him, his own. The Jews did not receive him. There was a hardening of their hearts, Romans 11 tells us, for a purpose. The world cannot see him and the Jews, they did not receive him. And so who did see this light and receive this life? Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of what? Children of God. Children, it's, 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 a, it's a children of God. Children born not of natural descent. We're not talking physical. We're talking spiritual, right? The thing we cannot see. How do people get born into the kingdom of God? You must be born again, Jesus said, or you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What, what, is, what, ha- what happens there? He says, the children born of not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will has nothing to do with our, our, who we are related to or what we want to do or didn't want to do. But it says, it's but born of what? Of God. It was his idea to bust into your world, to shine light, into your life, and the question is, did you receive that light and that life? How does that, how does that happen? How, do, how does a person receive him? How, does it, how do we receive the light? How do we receive eternal life? It says here, by believing in his name. By believing in his name. This is not believing that Jesus has a name and it's Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. It's all that he represents. And in John, you know, obviously you go into John chapter 3 and he nails down specifics on these things. But right now John's speaking in broad strokes. (coughs) By believing in his name means to believe in who he is. That the eternal God who alone possesses eternal life More specifically, that God became a man to give you his eternal life. You have physical life, but you do not have eternal life because of sin. We've all sinned and we all die and face the judgment. And without his eternal life, we're under the condemnation of God. And so the Lord sent a Savior. And the word came to bring salvation, to save us from that wrath. He came to sinners like you, like me, to die in the place of our sin, for your sin, for my sin, that through Him, through faith in Him, that He died for you, that He took your place, that He rose again, and He has the power over death to give you life. That through faith in Him and His name, all that that represents, you might be forgiven and you have eternal life. What did you do to to get eternal life? You believe in what He has done. That's it. We do not live in a works religion. This is not a works religion. This is a love religion. God did all the heavy lifting. He did everything. 
We were dead and gone, and God busted into our world with his love and his light to rebels and said, I offer you absolute pardon. Surrender your life. Believe in my son. My son will be executed on your behalf because I love you that much. And for those who believe that that transition took place, our sin was placed upon him. He died the death that we could never die. He took our sin upon himself. That's why Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened at that moment? Face to face, what happened? God turned his back on his son for you, for me. I can't even begin to explain what that is. He executed him because it glorified God that you would become part of the family. But your sin had to be dealt with. My sin had to be dealt with. We don't get passes in the kingdom of God. We don't. He deals with every sin that was fully laid upon Jesus. His death for your life He gives you his eternal life. You become his son. You become his daughter. Why? Because of grace. His good will towards you. Undeserved, unmerited favor. The gift of God. Eternal life for all those who believe in his name. It's not something we do It's all that he did. Through faith in Jesus, you have eternal life. Eternal life is a person. And the spirit of Christ now dwells in you. His life dwells in you. Amen. That's why you have eternal life, because the person of Christ is now in you. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, proving that you're his. When we put our faith in him, when we are born again, not physically, but spiritually, we take on now the nature of God. Christ is in you. Any of you want to know how to have victory over your sin? It's Christ in you. That's it. He's the only hope. Otherwise, we're dead in our sins. We have no power over it. But Christ, he lived the life that you and I could not live. He was sinless perfection. And he now lives in you. And we reckon our old lives dead. And now we let Christ live through us. How many knows that that, of us know that that's sanctification? That's a lifelong process. That making us more into the image of Christ Jesus. The reality of the position we are working out in our practice. Until that day when we see him face to face. There's another verse there, face to face verse. This is why we celebrate Christmas. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as John says, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He couldn't, even, he couldn't be less gracious. He couldn't be less truthful. That's just who He was, full of grace and truth. Words fall short. And that is Jesus Christ. How deep is your sin this morning? How horrible See, Jesus isn't going to pretend like it didn't happen. Oh, never mind. 
No, he's truth. But guess what he matches that truth with? He's also what? Grace. How many of you need the grace of God in your life this morning? Respond. Believe upon Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. Repent. Turn and start to follow him, and you will find that the light turned on, that he has given you eternal life. That's the hope of the world. That's it. And it's all coming down to that moment, church. It's all coming down to that moment when we will see him face to face and we're either going to see him as sons and daughters or we're going to see him as enemies. And right now is the day that he's given you. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Praise the Lord. So, with, with you this morning, I don't want you to leave without the opportunity to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. It is not a prayer that gets you saved. It is faith and belief in Jesus Christ, that he came, he died in your place, and his life is yours. And that is a work of the Spirit. The world looks at that and they go, that is stupid. Of course, you don't recognize it. I didn't recognize it until the Lord it made sense one day because God did a work in my heart. And if that's you this morning, man, surrender. Say, that's me. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you've been churching it your whole life, you've been doing the thing, whatever. God sees through all of that. And you know this morning you need his life. You are living without it. That you, the weight of the the sin is upon you. You know that when you stand before him, you're not going to measure up. Listen, none of us are going to measure up. That's you and you need a savior, the only savior, the way, the truth, the life. You need to be born again. The Holy Spirit is pressing this upon your heart. Respond to him now. Raise your hand. If that's you, God bless you. God bless you. God's not gonna force you. Anyone else? Don't let pride get in the way. Humble yourself before your God. I'm not going to put you on display. This is, between, this is for you and your God. Anyone else? Lord God, you see into the hearts of people. We know that a hand raised doesn't save, but the, but the prayer of faith, Lord, that believing that Jesus Christ died and that he rose again, that's what saves. So pray with me. Lord God, I believe that you came and that you alone possess eternal life. And that, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins all of them.
And that I believe what you say, that you've forgiven me and I'm as white as snow. So Lord, I follow you now. I give my heart to you. You promise, you say, that you will complete the good work you started. And so now I repent, I turn from my sin, and I follow you. Thank you for eternal life. And for the rest of us this morning, may God fill you with the joy and the love of the relationship of being one with God, being brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Walk in that, know that. And if you've got stuff going on in your heart, you've got a father. If he sent his son to die for you, how much now more that you're his children will he not help you out? It's <laughs> a paraphrase of Romans, but God loves you. Be blessed this morning. Walk in the fullness of his joy and his spirit. And go shine the true light and the true life into this dark world. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.